my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Welcome to Before Breakfast, a production of iHeartRadio. Good morning. This is Laura. Welcome to the Before Breakfast podcast. Today's tip is about how to build a reputation for being reliable, even if life isn't conspiring to help you out in that regard. I know many people listening to this podcast pride themselves on doing what they say they'll do. I also know that this is easier for some people than others, in ways that a lot of the productivity literature out there doesn't always consider. I recently got a note from a listener who asked what I suggested for people with unpredictable or chronic medical issues. I know that I have come off as unreliable at times due to my chronic pain, and I don't like being perceived that way, our listener writes. I agree, it's incredibly frustrating to be seen as unreliable when it's really not your fault. I know I'm fortunate not to be dealing with these specific issues of a chronic medical condition, but I do have four children, and when you are a caregiver for other people, there are so many more logistics that must be dealt with that sometimes could make you seem unreliable as well. And this is one reason I sometimes get frustrated with productivity literature written by people who aren't in that position and have never even considered what would happen if a babysitter calls in sick or the nurse calls because your kid needs to be picked up at school. Last year, I had the experience of getting a note that one of my books, 168 Hours, was being included on a list of the best time management books of all time. Wow, very exciting. Literally the next minute, I was on the phone with our school system's bus dispatcher. She told me that the school bus was not going to be able to get down our street due to some work that was suddenly being done. So somebody would need to go stand on a street corner a ways away to get my children. I was curious how many other authors on that time management book list were dealing with such issues at that moment. That said, I do believe that even if there are parts of life you can't control, there are also parts you can. And it is possible to build a reputation for being reliable, even if you are dealing with far more complicated circumstances than someone whose major worry is whether he'll make it home in time for Monday night football. Anyone dealing with major life complications should do a few things. First, take care of yourself. Most of us do better when we are well-rested, well-fed, and moving our physical bodies in whatever ways we're capable of. Surround yourself with positive people who can keep you fully charged and in a solution-seeking mindset. Second, become aware of your time and even more importantly, of your energy. 
From my conversations with people with chronic health issues, I've learned that there are often good days and bad days, and more than that, even good hours and bad hours. And if there's any sort of pattern you can detect, this is helpful for planning your life. In my case, I've certainly found patterns with my kids' schedules. I know that we have more snow days and sick days in January than in, say, October. So I can try to plan big life projects around that. If you know you generally have a reasonable amount of energy between, say, 8 and 9 a.m., you'll want to plan important matters for that window. You can leave routine stuff for lower energy times. Third, get in the habit of working ahead and leaving extra space. The extra space can absorb whatever goes wrong since, as anyone with a complicated life knows, stuff can definitely go wrong. If an assignment is due Friday, I aim to be done by Tuesday or Wednesday. That way, if I lose a workday early in the week, I still have time to make it up. Or maybe I'm already done, and then I'm still on track if I lose a day later in the week. Particularly for longer projects, you can often work quite a ways ahead. Book deadlines might be assigned a year or so out. So I plan my work to be done several months before the deadline. That way, anything that happens in the days or weeks before the deadline isn't an issue. I also work ahead by taking advantage of any found time when things are going well and I'm feeling good and nothing's wrong with the kids. So if the kids are all happy or doing something on the weekend, I'll work then, knowing that I might lose time during the week. This recently came in handy when I had a major assignment due on a Wednesday. I'd blocked out time on Monday and Tuesday to deal with it, but some space opened up on the weekend when my husband was doing something with all the kids. I managed to get about 75% of the way done. This turned out to matter when we wound up spending the entire latter half of Monday in the emergency room, with follow-up doctor visits then required on Tuesday. All is fine, thankfully, but it's nice in these circumstances not to add call and explain why I need an extension to the to-do list. Fourth, while I think of myself as a positive person, I assume things will go wrong. And because I make this assumption, I make plans to address most possibilities, at least the ones I can think about. Even though all my children are in school at least part-time now, we still have full-time childcare. That way, if my husband and I are both nowhere near home and a sudden ice storm means school is dismissed three hours early, someone is on call to deal with it. And someone with a chronic health issue might plan to be at an event, but if that becomes impossible because of changing conditions, well, she's already trained someone and arranged for that person to be able to cover it if needed, with her providing virtual support, if that's possible. Finally, you might recalibrate what it means to be reliable. I've found that when you generally do what you say you're going to do, people are incredibly understanding in the rare circumstances when you can't. I know if I had called my editor and asked for an extension after the emergency room incident, it would have been fine. They'd built in space too. Those of us who value reliability and worry that we might be perceived as unreliable might be surprised to learn how many people don't do what they say they're going to do. A physician recently mentioned that her office's no-show rate was about 15%. Even with calls and texts and email reminders, 15% of people don't show up for an appointment that they personally made. And when I researched this, because I was surprised by that number, I learned that that's actually pretty good. In some specialties, the no-show rate is 30%. And I'm sure that many of these people have really good reasons for not showing up. But I'm also sure that others probably don't. 
If you're trying hard and doing good work when you can, most people will understand the few times when you can't. And over time, you can make choices to create a life where you work with people who do understand. Look for organizations with managers who have real lives. Look for organizations that don't just talk about flexibility, but actually have people working at different times and different places. These places are more likely to value talented employees who just need a little extra time and a little extra space to do amazing things. So they are the ones who deserve you. In the meantime, this is Laura. Thanks for listening. And here's to making the most of our time. Hey, everybody. I'd love to hear from you. You can send me your tips, your questions, or anything else. Just connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Before Breakfast Pod. That's B-E, the number four, then breakfast, P-O-D. You can also shoot me an email at beforebreakfastpodcast at iheartmedia.com. That before breakfast is spelled out with all the letters. Thanks so much. I look forward to staying in touch. Before Breakfast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.